Section 8 of Dedications. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Hand. Dedications by Mary Elizabeth Brown. To Nobility, Part 2. Tentations, Their Nature, Danger, Cure. By Richard Capel, sometime fellow of Magdalen College, Oxford. 6th edition, 1658. To the right worshipful Sir William Guise, Knight. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ. Sir, those that honor God, God will honor, and so will godly men. God will, for he useth not to be behind with any, neither will be with you. You have done God much honor in setting up such lights in our country, ministers who both do and teach. They, as Christ hath it, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven, and so shall you. And so will godly men honor you, both ministers and others. Ministers, because you have built us out of our coat some synagogues. Others, who had it not been for you, might have sate in the shadow of darkness and death. For that they now see best, by their present mercy, what was their former, and what would have been their future misery. It ends with, And now to help the weaker sort of Christians, I have here done somewhat that way, which, whatever it be, I do here make bold to publish it under your name and countenance, to whom I wish, as St. John did to Gaius, the host of the church in his time, that above all things you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth. Yours in our Lord Jesus Christ, Richard Capel. This book has also a ten-page dedication by Richard Sibbs to the Christian reader, beginning, after the angels left their own standing, they envied ours, and out of envy became both by office and practice tempters, that they may draw men from that happy communion with God unto that cursed condition with themselves. And success in this trade hath made them both skillful and diligent, especially now, their time being but short. And if neither the first or second Adam could be free from their impudent assaults, who then may look for exemption? etc. The Indian Emperor or the Conquest of Mexico by John Dryden, 1667. To the most excellent and most illustrious princess, Anne, Duchess of Monmouth and Buckley, wife to the most illustrious high-born Prince James, Duke of Monmouth. May it please your grace, the favor which heroic plays have lately found upon our theaters has been wholly derived to them from the countenance and approbation they have received at court. Since, therefore, to the court I owe its fortune on the stage, so being now more publicly exposed in print, I humbly recommend it to your grace's protection. Praise of her beauty and goodness follows. But as needful as beauty is, virtue and honor are yet more. The reign of it without their support is unsafe and short, like that of tyrants. Every sun which looks on beauty wastes it and, when it once is decaying, the repairs of art are of as short continuance as the after-spring, when the sun is going farther off. This, madam, is its ordinary fate, but yours, which is accompanied by virtue, is not subject to that common destiny. Your grace has not only a long time of youth in which to flourish, but you have likewise found the way, by an untainted preservation of your honor, to make that perishable good more lasting." And if beauty, like wines, could be preserved by being mixed and embodied with others of their own natures, 
then your graces would be immortal since no part of europe can afford a parallel to your noble lord in masculine beauty and in goodliness of shape to receive the blessings and prayers of mankind you need only to be seen together we are ready to conclude that you are a pair of angels sent below to make virtue amiable in your persons or to sit to poets when they would pleasantly instruct the age by drawing goodness in the most perfect and alluring shape of nature to the duchess's inclination to do good dryden goes on he can testify from his own experience he did owe much to her for it was her patronage which first established his popularity she was to quote scott's note to this preface in the scott saintsbury edition an accomplished and high-spirited lady distinguished for her unblemished conduct in a profligate court don quixote madrid 1674 to senor don francisco maria grillo son of the senor marquez de carpineto the works of miguel de cervantes saavedra have traversed the globe winning general praise among all none have been so celebrated as these first and second parts of the ingenious hidalgo don quixote de la mancha by the cleverness of their sparkling wit these books have occupied the presses of other kingdoms and from that of spain new editions are issued almost every year never have they lacked able defenders in whose protection was tempered the heat of the critic's most severe censure and to-day in placing these works under the patronage of your highness i am giving them a protector who would defend them valiantly they are united in your highness all the talents which by common consent should adorn the defenders of the works of genius these are illustrious blood to give them authority valor to defend them and a ready understanding to receive them i have read many dedications of books which ingenious courtiers have given to the press in the elegance of the most polished phrases and have found that they tend to the formation of genealogical trees and are notably diffuse but your highness being the lawful son of signor don agabito grillo marquis de carpineto recognized by the royal and most serene republic of genoa as the most ancient most noble and most exalted house of its illustrious name the renown of your most noble line of ancestors is proclaimed not only by those best versed in history but by those least learned from the task of establishing your renown i am therefore relieved the valor of your highness sufficiently explains the reverence with which all regard you giving you at the same time their love and their respect as many as have communicated with your highness have applauded the readiness of your understanding and as many as have had intercourse with you have celebrated it especially has your highness always been gracious in favoring the studious and in aiding the learned your highness is notably disposed to the reading of those books which have brought to light the geniuses of this court and so i feel assured that your highness will gladly admit this little offering with my compliments and wishes that god may preserve your highness in happiness and prosperity for many years kissing the hand of your highness your most humble servant dona maria de armenteros the state of innocence and fall of man an opera by john dryden 1677 to mary of est duchess of york this flattering address reads in part greatness is indeed communicated to some few of both sexes but beauty is confined to a more narrow compass tis only in your sex tis not shared by many and its supreme perfection is in you alone and here madam i am proud that i cannot flatter you are never seen but you are blessed and i am sure you bless all those who see you 
We think not the day is long enough when we behold you, and you are so much the business of our souls, that while you are in sight we can neither look nor think on any else. There are no eyes for other beauties. You only are present, and the rest of your sex are but the unregarded parts that fill your triumph. Our sight is so intent on the object of its admiration that our tongues have not leisure even to praise you, for language seems too low a thing to express your excellence, and our souls are speaking so much within that they despise all foreign conversation. Thus, madam, in the midst of crowds you reign in solitude, and are adored with the deepest veneration, that of silence. Dryden by no means became silent at this point, where the quotation may very well be cut short. Johnson speaks of this dedication as an attempt to mingle earth and heaven by praising human excellence in the language of religion. Wharton describes it as a piece of the grossest and most abject adulation that ever disgraced true genius. Devout Communicant, Anonymous, 6th edition, London, 1688. To the truly noble Sir Kingsmill Lucy, Baronet. Sir, among the multitude of practical divine treatises are none more numerous than on the Lord's Supper, nor more diversely handled. Not a few well-disposed persons yet complain they are at a loss, not so much which to make use of, as that they know not how to form directions in opposite meditations. They sequester themselves, they sit, they seem to reflect as others, but know not what to say in themselves, to their great discomfort and discouragement. The ensuing manual is so methodically digested for their assistance and presented to yourself, not as one that needs it, but the composer a better evidence of his great esteem of a person so constant, so devout, a communicant, so eminently charitable, so rarely tempered, so truly honorable. If it displease any, I borrow of so many to discharge one great debt. Methinks my honesty in owning it may satisfy. Their allowing me also to make the best use of theirs, I were able. And if this be a bad one, tis a right-hand error. I hope they will not condemn, but pity and pardon me. I was no better advised, my ambition being not to appear in public, but to be publicly useful, and to let the world know how much I am, sir, your great admirer and humble servant. The Lucubrations of Isaac Bickerstaff, Esquire, by Richard Steele 1713. Volume 1 of The Tattler is dedicated by Isaac Bickerstaff to Mr. Mainwaring, but the dedication is merely a short explanation of the purpose and success of the paper. Volume 2 is inscribed to Edward Wortley Montague, Esquire, but it is, as the opening sentence declares, rather a request to read the papers indulgently than a dedication. Volume 3 aspires higher, to the Right Honorable William Lord Cowper, Baron of Wingham, and adopts the usual strain of dedicatory eulogy. Volume 4 addresses the Right Honorable Charles Lord Halifax in this fashion. When I first resolved upon doing myself this honor, I could not but indulge a certain vanity in dating from this little covert, Hampton Wick, April 7, 1711, where I have frequently had the honor of your lordship's company and received from you very many obligations. The elegant solitude of this place and the greatest pleasures of it I owe to its being so near those beautiful manners wherein you sometimes reside. The Military Memoirs of Captain George Carleton by Daniel Defoe, 1728 To the Right Honorable Spencer, Lord Compton, Baron of Wilmington, Knight of the Bath, and one of His Majesty's Most Honorable Privy Council. 
It was my fortune, my lord, in my juvenile years, musas cum Marte comatuari. And truly I have reason to blush, when I consider the small advantage I have reaped from that change. But lest it should be imputed to my want of merit, I have wrote these memoirs, and leave the world to judge of my deserts. They are not set forth by any fictitious stories, not embellished with rhetorical flourishes. The plain truth is certainly most becoming the character of an old soldier. Yet let them be never so meritorious, if not protected by some noble patron. Some persons may think them to be of no value. To you, therefore, my lord, I present them, to you who have so eminently distinguished yourself, and whose wisdom has been so conspicuous to the late representatives of Great Britain, that each revolving age will speak in your praise. And if you vouchsafe to be the Messinus of these memoirs, your name will give them sufficient sanction. An old soldier I may truly call myself, and my family allows me the title of gentleman. Yet I have seen many favorites of fortune without being able to discern why they should be so happy, and myself so unfortunate. But let not that discourage your lordship from receiving these, my memoirs, into your patronage. For the unhappy cannot expect favor, but from those who are endued with generous souls. Give me leave, my lord, to congratulate this good fortune, that neither Whig nor Tory, in this complaining age, have found fault with your conduct. Your family has produced heroes in defense of injured kings, and you, when it was necessary, have as nobly adhered to the cause of liberty. My lord, your lordship's most obedient and most devoted humble servant, G. Carleton. The memoirs were long supposed to have been written by the old soldier who speaks with such disarming simplicity in the dedication. But it is now almost certainly established that their author was Daniel Defoe, who did not consider plain truth most becoming to his own character. He has made the dedication very effectively serve his masquerading purpose. An Essay on Design by John Gwynne, 1749 To His Grace the Duke of Rutland, My Lord, Though this address, made without leave or application, is perfectly unmixed with mercenary views, yet your grace will give me leave to own that it is not altogether disinterested. I think myself interested in the honor and advantage of my country, and consequently in the arts which I have endeavored to recommend. I address your grace as a lover and judge of those arts, and as a nobleman whom fame has long since pointed out for one of their most distinguished patrons. What is universally said, I may be allowed to repeat— and in respect to that delicacy, which is always attendant on good sense, true taste, generous education, and the most polite converse, I will not presume to say more. I am, may it please your grace, your grace's most humble and most obedient servant, J. Gwynne. Observations and Inquiries Relating to Various Parts of Ancient History by Jacob Bryant, Cambridge, 1767 To His Grace the Duke of Marlborough, My Lord, I would not presume to introduce the ensuing treatises to your grace's notice, were I not well acquainted with your love of truth and your zeal to obtain it through the most severe investigation. A mind so devoted is the best judge of evidence in every degree, being influenced by a more exquisite taste and discernment, and enriched with superior knowledge. It is from this principle, my lord, that you have been rendered so happy in every rational attainment, and led to an union with virtues the most similar to your own. Hence it is that I am emboldened to lay before your grace the following dissertations, which contain matter of dark and remote inquiry, and are the fruits of that ease and retirement, with which, under providence, I am blessed by your benevolence and favor. These are the only returns I can make for the many signal instances of your goodness. 
Beyond these, I have nothing left but prayers and wishes for you long and intimately to enjoy that happiness, which, like a salutary emanation, you so widely diffuse to others. I shall not attempt to make any display of your high endowments and hereditary great qualities. May it be the peculiar happiness of these times never to stand in need of such approved worth and excellence. Let the calm with which we are flattered long continue, that nothing may interfere with your noble and ingenuous pursuits, nor ruin the happy tendency of your studies, much less in any degree interrupt your domestic felicity. Permit me to subscribe myself with the highest sense of duty and esteem. My Lord, your graces, most faithful and most obliged, humble servant, Jacob Bryant. The Life of Edward, Lord Herbert of Cherbury, written by himself, edited by Horace Walpole, 1771. To the most noble Henry Arthur Herbert, Earl of Powis, Viscount Ludlow, Lord Herbert of Cherbury, Baron Powis and Ludlow, and Treasurer of His Majesty's Household, my Lord, permit me to offer to your Lordship in this more durable manner the very valuable present I received from your hands. To your lordship, your great ancestor owes his revival, and suffer me, my lord, to tell the world what does you so much honor. You have given him and me leave to speak the truth, an indulgence which, I am sorry to say, few descendants of heroes have minds noble enough to allow. Hitherto Lord Herbert has been little known as an author. I much mistake if hereafter he is not considered as one of the most extraordinary characters which this country has produced. Men of the proudest blood shall not blush to distinguish themselves in letters as well as arms, when they learn what excellence Lord Herbert attained in both. Your lordship's lineage at least will have a pattern before their eyes to excite their emulation, and while they admire the piety with which you have done justice to your common ancestor, they cannot be forgetful of the obligation they will have to your lordship's memory for transmitting to them this record of his glory. I have the honor to be, my lord, your lordship's most obedient and most obliged servant, Horace Walpole. Walpole wrote to George Montague, July 26, 1764, that he and the poet Gray had read Lord Herbert's life aloud to amuse Lady Waldegrave, and that they could not get on for laughing and screaming. Walpole had found the manuscript at Lady Hertford's, to whom Lady Powis had lent it. Lord Powis at first refused to allow it to be printed, and Walpole thereupon wrote the above-flattering dedication, which I knew he would swallow. He did, and gave up his ancestor. Poems by Phyllis Wheatley, 1773 To the Right Honorable the Countess of Huntington, the following poems are most respectfully inscribed by her much obliged, very humble, and devoted servant, Phyllis Wheatley. Boston, June 12, 1773 Phyllis Wheatley was an African slave girl who wrote the poems when she was only 17, having been brought as a little girl to Boston. She had no schooling, it seems, and must have taken learning in at the pores. Relics of Ancient English Poetry by Bishop Percy, 4th edition, 1794. To Elizabeth, late Duchess and Countess of Northumberland, in her own right, Baroness Percy, etc., 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 who, being sole heiress to many great families of our ancient nobility, employed the princely fortune and sustained the illustrious honors which she derived from them, through her whole life with the greatest dignity, generosity, and spirit, and who for her many public and private virtues will ever be remembered as one of the first characters of her time. This little work was originally dedicated, and as it sometimes afforded her amusement and was highly distinguished by her indulgent approbation, it is now, with the utmost regard, respect, and gratitude, consecrated to her beloved and honored memory.
The first edition, with a long dedication to the Duchess, appeared in 1765. Percy was then chaplain to the Duke of Northumberland. Don Quixote, Madrid, 1797. To His Excellency, the Prince of La Paz. Sir, the zeal of your excellency for the renown of the establishments under your care will cause you to look with approbation upon this typographic attempt, undertaken for the purpose of manifesting the beauty and taste which can be given to the volumes printed in the offices of the royal press. Don Quixote, being the best book in our language and one of the most beautiful in the world, was chosen for this. It merited the preference and perhaps attracted to the enterprise a part of the satisfaction which it is known to win from all with its incomparable merit. The editor, who has the honor to count himself among the employees of the Royal Printing Office, and consequently of Your Excellency, hopes that the small civility of dedicating this edition to you will be accepted by Your Excellency with that benignant indulgence which you are accustomed to dispense to good wishes. Most Excellent Seigneur, at the feet of Your Excellency, Andres Ponce de Quiniones. Hellas, a lyrical drama by Percy B. Shelley. 1821. To His Excellency, Prince Alexander Mavro Cordato, late Secretary for Foreign Affairs to the Hospodar of Wallachia, the drama of Hellas is inscribed as an imperfect token of the admiration, sympathy, and friendship of the author. Pisa, November 1st, 1821. Extract from Mrs. Shelley's Note on Hellas. While the fate of the progress of the Austrian armies then invading Naples was yet in suspense, the news of another revolution filled him, Shelley, with exultation. We had formed the acquaintance at Pisa of several Constantinopolitan Greeks of the family of the Prince Karadaja, formerly Hospodar of Wallachia, who, hearing that the bowstring, the accustomed finale of his vice-royalty, was on the road to him, escaped with his treasures and took up his abode in Tuscany. Among these was the gentleman to whom the drama of Hellas is dedicated. Prince Mavrocodato was warmed by those aspirations for the independence of his country, which filled the hearts of many of his countrymen. He often intimated the possibility of an insurrection in Greece, but we had no idea of its being so near at hand, when on the 1st of April, 1821, he called on Shelley, bringing the proclamation of his cousin, Prince Ypsilanti, and, radiant with exultation and delight, declared that henceforth Greece would be free. Jerusalem Delivered Translated into English Spenserian verse from the Italian of Torquato Tasso by Jeremiah H. Whiffen, 2nd edition, 1826. To Georgiana, Duchess of Bedford, 1. Years have flown o'er since first my soul aspired in song the sacred missal to repeat, which sainted Tasso writ with pen inspired, told is my rosary and the task complete. And now, twixt hope and fear, with toil untired, I cast the ambrosial relic at thy feet, not without faith that in thy goodness thou wilt deign one smile to my accomplished vow. 2. Not in dim dungeons to the clank of chains, like sad torcatos, have the hours been spent given to the song, but in bright halls where reigns uncumbered freedom, with a mind unbent by walks in woods, green dells, and pastoral plains to sound far off of village merriment. Albeit perchance some springs whence Tasso drew, his sweet tones have touched my spirit too. 3. O oh, that, as happier constellation bless, my studious life, my verses too could boast, some happier graces, should I wish for less? 
to tone for charms unseized and splendors lost. No, the grand rainbow mocks the child's caress, who can but sorrow as his fancies crossed, that e'er so beautiful a thing should rise, to lewd his grasp, yet so enchant his eyes. 4. On the majestic Sorrentine I gazed with a familiar joy, methought he smiled. But now the vigil's past, I stand amazed at the conceit and sorrow like the child. What second hand can paint the scenes that blazed in Tasso's brain with tints as sweet and wild, as much the shapes that on his canvas glow, their birth to frenzy as to genius owe? 5. Yet may I hope o'er generous minds to cast a faint reflection of his matchless skill, for here his own Sophronia unagast flings firm defiance to her tyrant still. Clorinda bleeds, lovelorn Erminia fast, hies through the forest at her steed's wild will, and in these pages still Armida's charms strike the rapt heart and wake a world to arms. 6. Thus then, O lady, with thy name I grace the glorious fable, fitly since to thee and thine the thanks are due, that in the face of time and toil the poet's devotee has raised the enchanted structure on its base, and to thy hand now yields the unclosing key. Blessed if in one bright intellect like thine he wins regard and builds himself a shrine. Hymns by Frederick William Faber, 1849 to the Earl of Arundel and Surrey, these hymns are affectionately inscribed, with the belief that to him it will be the truest token of gratitude for so many kindnesses, thus to connect his honored name with our dear St. Philip. Faber was one of the disciples of Newman in the Oxford movement. In 1845 he became a Catholic, and three years later he joined the Oratory of St. Philip Neri, which had just been introduced into England, and of which Father Newman was the superior. Faber became the head of the London Oratory. This explains the allusion to St. Philip in the dedication. Henry Esmond by William Makepeace Thackeray, 1852 To the Right Honorable William Bingham, Lord Ashburton My dear Lord, the writer of a book which copies the manners and language of Queen Anne's time must not omit the dedication to the patron, and I ask leave to inscribe these volumes to your lordship, for the sake of the great kindness and friendship which I owe to you and yours. My volumes will reach you when the author is on his voyage to a country where your name is as well known as here. Wherever I am, I shall gratefully regard you, and shall not be less welcomed in America, because I am your obliged friend and servant, W. M. Thackeray. London, October 18, 1852. A Natural History of the Nests and Eggs of British Birds by Francis O. Morris, 1853-56. To the Right Honorable, the Earl of Carlisle, these volumes, in which a new invention has been applied to the Department of Art under which they are illustrated, are with his lordship's permission most respectfully dedicated by his obliged and obedient servant, the author. The History of the Violin and Other Instruments Played on with the Bow, by William Sandys and Simon Andrew Forster, 1864. Dedicated, with permission, to Lord Gerald Fitzgerald and the nobility and gentry of the Society of Wandering Minstrels. Belastion's Adventure, including a transcript from Euripides, by Robert Browning, 1871. To the Countess Cowper, if I mention the simple truth that this poem absolutely owes its existence to you, who not only suggested but imposed on me as a task, 
but has proved the most delightful of May month amusements. I shall seem honest, indeed, but hardly prudent, for how good and beautiful ought such a poem to be. Euripides might fear little, but I also have an interest in the performance, and what wonder if I beg you to suffer that it make, in another and far easier sense, its nearest possible approach to those Greek qualities of goodness and beauty, by laying itself gratefully at your feet? R.B. London, July 23, 1871. The Master of Ballantrae by Robert Louis Stevenson, 1889. To Sir Percy Florence and Lady Shelley, here is a tale which extends over many years and travels into many countries. By a peculiar fitness of circumstance, the writer began, continued it, and concluded it among distance and diverse scenes. Above all, he was much upon the sea. It is my hope that these surroundings of its manufacture may, to some degree, find favor for my story with seafarers and sea lovers like yourselves. And at least here is a dedication, from a great way off, written by the loud shores of a subtropical island near upon ten thousand miles from Boscombe, Chine, and Manor. Scenes which rise before me as I write, along with the faces and voices of my friends. Well I am, for the sea once more, no doubt, Sir Percy also. Let us make the signal, B.R.D. R.L.S. Waikiki, May 17th, 1889. This, like the dedications of several other works of Stevenson, is very much like a letter, and most of them are too long to be included in this volume. Clues to Holy Writ, or The Chronological Scripture Cycle, by Mary Louisa Georgina Petrie, 1893. To the Duchess of Bedford, one of the first outside our college by post to adopt the CSC scheme, and the first to suggest its issue in this form for a wider public. I dedicate my little book. The Merry Men and Other Tales and Fables by Robert Louis Stevenson, 1895. My dear Lady Taylor, to your name, if I wrote on brass, I could add nothing. It has been already written higher than I could dream to reach by a strong and a dear hand, and if I now dedicate to you these tales, it is not as the writer who brings you his work, but as the friend who would remind you of his affection. Robert Louis Stevenson, Scarivor Bornemuth. A Historical Greek Grammar by A. N. Janaris, Ph.D., 1897. To the Most Honorable the Marquess of Butte, K.T., the generous patron and pioneer of Greek culture and scholarship, this work is inscribed by the author. Japanese Girls and Women by Alice Mabel Bacon, 1902. To Stemats, the Countess Oyama, in the name of our girlhood's friendship, Unchanged and unshaken by the changes and separations of our maturer years, this volume is affectionately dedicated. End of section 8